as our congregational prayer, uh, I'm going to read the prodigal son story in Luke 15. And what I'd like for you to do is envision yourself as the son who left his father, as the prodigal. Um, And of course, envision God, the father, um, as, as your father. And even if you're not a Christian today, I'd encourage you to, to, to put yourself in this man's shoes because this is all of our stories. Whether, we're, whether we've decided to come home or not, uh, this is our story. So um, let's pray together and just kind of recognize this is our story. A man had two sons. And the younger son, the prodigal, told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve, didn't have anything to eat didn't have anything to his name. And so he persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home where I left, where I severed that relationship, even the hired servants had food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father with this in mind, with that, that plan to talk to his dad. Take me home as a hired servant. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. His father was filled with love and compassion and he ran to his son. He embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, he started into his spiel, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead. And now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Father, turn our eyes to you this morning. You're the one who welcomes us back and doesn't just give us a hug or a kiss, but throws a party that we don't deserve. We don't even deserve to be your servant, and you have called us sons and daughters. So I pray as we open your word now, uh, we would open ourselves to you 
the parts of ourselves that we can't even put our finger on, that we don't know. Holy Spirit, would you speak and would you move? And would you remind us, (laughs) even as you expose our hearts, would you remind us that we are safe with you because you love us so much? Amen. Well, we've been journeying through Matthew's gospel, and we started that in February. Uh, So we quickly kind of overviewed the first four chapters in one and a half months. We covered four chapters, and since mid-March, we've kind of slowed down because I really wanted us to listen to and soak in Jesus' teaching that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And through all of our study of the book of Matthew, there's been this theme that we've seen over and over, this theme of fulfillment. That Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's plans, all of God's purposes, all God's promises. In all of human history, it's fulfilled in Jesus. So that's a really, really big idea. I mean, all of history, all of the Bible, biblical history. But this idea, it's not just a big, lofty idea. It's incredibly practical, What that means for us is if you're struggling with life not going as well as you'd like, or if you're here today kind of riding a high, things have been going well for you. You've been enjoying work, relationships going well. It doesn't matter where you're at. Jesus is the point of your life. Whether you're changing diapers day in, day out, or whether you're working long hours at work, whether you just accomplished a major project and got a promotion, all of life is about him. It all exists for him. And that that truth shapes our lives and it has the power to shape our perspective on life. So what I'd like to do to start our message is kind of briefly refresh what Jesus had been saying in this sermon. Because if all of life is about him and we have this opportunity to hear from him, then we should really pay attention. But we're about halfway through the sermon, so it's kind of easy even for me to forget Okay, where have we come from? What has Jesus covered? And he covered a lot in Matthew 5. He just finished a long discourse on topics like anger, if you remember that. Lust, that was a really loaded week, right? Divorce, swearing, retaliation. And then he caps it off with loving your enemies. And keep all that in mind, that that Jesus just covered all those topics as, as I read his thesis statement. I believe this is Jesus' main idea of his whole sermon. He, he gives it to us in Matthew five seventeen through 20. He says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is getting at the fulfillment of the law that like all the anger and lust and divorce and retaliation and loving your enemies talk, he's, he's unpacking what it would look like with the, the fulfillment of the intention of God's law. And so he gave us the what in chapter five. 
Now in chapter 6, where we're at today and where we started last week, he turns his attention to how. So it's one thing to know what you should do, but if you don't know how to move towards it, it's really, it's really challenging. I remember when I learned how to drive a car, right? I knew what to do, right? You know, like you turn the wheel. If you want to go left, you turn the wheel left, right? Right, Hudson? And then you turn it right if you want to go right. If you, you want to brake, you push on the brake. But I didn't really know how. Like, if you push on the brake, how quickly is it going to stop? You know, how hard do you have to push on the brake? And all, It's one thing to know what. It's another thing to know how. And so Jesus is teaching us how to move towards becoming that type of person who fulfills the law and teaches others to do the same. Now, we, we don't do it perfectly like Jesus did, but this is to be our settled direction. Chapter 5 wasn't just a set of lofty ideals that it's like, oh, that's amazing, that's a great teaching. It, it's meant to be lived out. That's how Jesus finishes the sermon. Whoever, uh-huh. Thanks, Anna. I love you too. So that's why I'm telling you about Jesus right now, because I love you. So, so here's the how in chapter 6. The big idea that Jesus puts forth of how we do this is train for it internally. That's how you, me, and anyone can become the type of person who lives as God intends. So in verse one, it says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness to be seen by men, or you will have no reward from your heavenly father. And in verse four, it says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the defining characteristic of the training program of Jesus is secrecy. If I just had to boil it down to a word, that's the word Jesus uses. Do it in secret. That's how internal, that's how personal and deep this training is meant to be for us. And we can easily have the wrong idea of what secret means. It, this does not mean that others cannot see you do it. It means you don't care whether people see you do it or not. It means you're more interested in blessing people than impressing people. Secret does not mean keeping score. Or th it means you're not keeping score at all. It has the attitude of no one else knows, but I sure do. That's what keeping score is. It's like no one else knows, but I know. And doing things in secret can easily be twisted into self-righteousness. Like I'm good because I do my good deeds in secret. Jesus is targeting us becoming the kind of people who just do these good deeds, maybe even without thinking about it after some time. And the good news for us is it's not so secret that you can't tell other people about this lifestyle. You, you were actually meant to train in secret together. So Jesus is coming not just to fulfill the law, but to teach others to do the same. And this internal training, this training in secret is what he's unpacking in chapter 6. So with all that said, he's going to talk about prayer as a tool in training to live life in his kingdom. So that's our text today. Uh, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's unseen. 
then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we're going to break this into three sections today. Jesus' general instructions about prayer, his, his model prayer, his example, and then one effect of prayer. And then just so you know, like, and I know we have some new people with us today. Uh, and, and even if you're not new, this is going to be uncomfortable for some of you. And that's not my intention, but we're actually going to practice it. Uh, we're not just going to talk about prayer. We're going to pray together at the end. So don't worry. You don't have to pray out loud. I know that makes some people feel uncomfortable, but it's an opportunity for training. So let's look at the first section. Because since we're going to pray, you know, let's, let's actually pray how Jesus taught us to pray. The first section in his teaching is general instructions about prayer. It's verses 5 through 8. Jesus says in verses 5 through 8, don't put on a show for other people, but value the relationship with your heavenly Father. Again, this doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't pray with others, but don't play act. That's what being a hypocrite is. They were play actors. That's where the word was originally derived from. So being a sinner is different than being a hypocrite. You can be a sinner and not a hypocrite. Okay? My friends and I, we often ask forgiveness of each other, but we're not playing. We're not play acting when we hurt each other's feelings or when we hurt each other personally. We're, we're, we're being serious about our forgiveness. We're being serious about our intentions in our relationship. So don't play act. Don't put on a show for other people but value your father most in your prayer. He doesn't need many words. He doesn't hear you because of your words. He already knows, but he still wants to hear from you. I mean, if you're a parent, you, you know this. You already often know what your kids want. You already know uh, what they should do, but you still want them to ask. You still want to hear from them. And it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. I think application-wise, if you tend to pray more in group settings than you do alone, then when we pray later, maybe don't be the first person to pray. <laughs> or maybe just don't pray out loud at all very much. If you tend to not pray as much around other people, open up. Lean into the wind that blows in your life. But don't, don't pray trying to impress the people around you. It's, it's a training opportunity. The second section in Jesus' teaching on prayer is his, his model prayer. We, it's called the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I know in other traditions they call it Our Father, um, the Our Father Prayer. It's, it's verses 9 through 13. 
And uh, I, I also want to note, Jesus gave this prayer in front of other people. You can, you can pray in front of other people without trying to impress them. And we've often heard this prayer. In fact, many of us probably have this prayer memorized. But what Jesus is after isn't, you should pray these words, but you should pray like this. This is how. Not what, this is how to pray. So I, I want to encourage us in our time of praying later, don't just pray. God will listen to however you want to pray. Like he, he's very gracious. But when Jesus was asked how to pray, he didn't just say, you know, just talk to God about whatever you want to. Right? This, I think this is incredibly important for us to learn how to pray according to Jesus. This is for our good. We're, we're not earning any favor. This is just helpful training. He's like an expert trainer in a field. If, if you want to learn to lose weight, if you want to learn to do anything, you, you can listen to experts. Well, Jesus is the ultimate expert. And so we should listen to him. And this is how he begins how we should pray. He begins with worship. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And for me, often this is very easy to skip over because it's not natural. What's natural to me is self-worship. Being more interested in getting what I want from God rather than being enamored with who God is. And I know often in small group settings, it's like, okay, we're praying and I just want to ask for, you know, like I'm asking for the person on my left or whatever. And sometimes I'm reminded, remember who you're talking to. It's okay to pray without worship. God isn't going to ignore your prayer. But this is for our good because worship orients us. That's why Jesus starts here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then after worship, Jesus moves to surrender. Surrender sounds like this. God, have your way. I want you to have authority over my life. Why do you think Jesus would place surrender here after worship? I think one reason is it's just an intelligent response. It's an intelligent response to who God is. You know who God is? It makes sense to surrender. It makes sense to trust him. And then we surrender before we start asking for anything, which is the next section of Jesus' prayer. We first surrender and say, we, we really want you. We really want your way. And so finally, Jesus concludes this short model prayer by requesting needs. And he gives three needs as kind of categories. One is daily provision. Give us today our daily bread. And in our, in our, in our culture today, it might seem like a silly thing to ask, but when we remember that it's not our job that provides for us, it's not our intellect. It's ultimately God, the giver of all things. That fosters gratitude in our heart. It fosters humility. So Jesus starts with asking God to provide what we need. And then he moves to living forgiven lives. It starts with being forgiven by God and then extending forgiveness to others. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. And so here we're remembering God's not, in, he, God's not under any obligation to us because of how good we are. 
and therefore that should affect how we live. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. How often is that the most pressing prayer on our heart? It's, it's kind of a weird thing to pray because James says God doesn't lead us into temptation. So why would we ask God, don't lead me into temptation? Well, I think when we remember the context that Jesus had just been led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, we can say with Jesus, we really don't want that. But remember what we said before, God, you're good and we trust you. And so even if you lead us into temptation, you will deliver us from the evil one. We trust you. Even if it takes temptation to follow you, we trust your leadership for living well. And then what can seem awkward when we read this passage together, Jesus just prays and then he goes back to teaching. He kind of jumps back into forgiveness In verse 14, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men, your Father won't forgive your sins. Is this earning? No, this is not earning forgiveness. This is the effect of forgiveness. And many other passages in the Bible show that. And forgiveness, simply put, is I'm not going to hold this over another person. I will not seek forgiveness to punish them for the wrong that they did to me or to others, I will entrust judgment to God. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. We will come together. We will restore what was broken. We will forgive each other and work to repair the damage. We will do it together. But we are called to forgive. And that is an outworking of praying this way, of living this way. So I'd like to end with a quote from the late theologian R.C. Sproul uh, in case you have ever had questions about if prayer changes things. I I really like this quote. It says, prayer does change things, all kinds of things, but the most important thing it changes is us. And so how we pray will develop or will, will influence how we change and how we develop. So it would just make sense, wouldn't it? If we're serious about our growth in Christ-likeness, that Jesus' teaching on prayer would form our habits around prayer. Again, don't take this as legalism. You're not earning God's ear. He'll listen to you no matter how you come to him. But you will leave changed depending on how you come to him. So if you're here today and you haven't chosen to follow Jesus, I just want to invite you to do that. Repent and believe. Turn away from living life your way and trust Jesus. Trust him as your leader. Trust him as your savior. And if you've chosen to follow him, but realize you, you chose that, but you haven't been doing that, then here's the path forward. Repent and believe. And if all is well, you've been growing, you've been experiencing God, don't forget how it's come about in your life. God has acted. And it's been shown, shown, God's activity is shown through your ongoing repentance and faith. So, like I said earlier, 
Uh, we're not going to talk about application. We're going to do it in groups of three to five. And with families here today, uh, however you guys, however you guys want to do it, really, uh, this is we're going to be flexible. But you can you can unlock the chairs. I believe they unlock. What is it from the? For, yeah, thank you. From this side to this side. So like. If you're Shannon or Christine and you're trying to unlock your chair, you're going to have to pick up Brett's chair to unlock Shannon. So they unlock easiest from this side to this side. What I want us to do is just form, form groups, smaller groups, and pray together uh, using the guidelines that Jesus just, I mean, well, he didn't just give us, but we just talked about them. So if you, if you need big categories, Here's the three big categories. Worship, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Surrender, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then daily or, or needs, requesting needs. Daily bread is a need. Forgiveness is a need. Living forgiven lives. It's not just Father forgive me, but also help me to forgive others. And then the last one is leadership. That's a need. So, you can ask God about your wants here too. Again, I'm not trying to restrict you at all. I'm trying to free you and free myself into living how Jesus has offered us to live, the full and abundant life that he came to bring. So, with that being said, feel free to break up and, and stay broken up as the worship music starts. You don't have to put the chairs back till after we sing our last song. And even then, you don't have to. Someone will do it. So if you can't, don't sweat it. Let's go. Let's pray.